Hello, this is the last week of April 2020, and I'd like to dedicate this podcast to all the people who are on the front lines who are trying to take care of us during this crisis concerning COVID-19. If you haven't heard from enough people, I just want to say thank you so much for your diligent work and assistance, and I hope that this podcast provides some little relief and or entertainment while you perform the services that you're rendering. Warning, the Thin Blue Line podcast, Harry Bosch, contains adult content. Harry and others use profanity, adult language, and discuss adult topics, and so shall we. One more warning, this podcast may contain spoilers. I must stress this for this chapter and your entire podcast, so please proceed with extreme caution. Well, don't believe everything you read, doctor. Let me clarify things for you. What I did on my so-called mission was to cause two men to be murdered and the other man to die at my own hands. I solved, let me see, I solved one, no, two, three murders. So that's good. But I didn't solve the murder I set out to solve. In other words, I've been running around in circles causing people to die. So how did you expect me to be during our session? Have you been drinking? I had a couple of beers with lunch, but it was a long lunch, and I think a minimum of two beers required considering what I've just told you. But I'm not drunk, if that's what you want to know. And I'm not working, so what's the difference? I thought we agreed to cut... Oh, fuck that. This is the real world. Isn't that what you call it? The real world? Between now and the last time we talked, I killed someone, Doc. And you want to talk about cutting back on booze. Like it means anything anymore. Hello, and welcome to the Thin Blue Line podcast. I'm Philip Parker, a retired police detective with over 29 years of law enforcement experience. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to rate us five stars or better. Please follow us on Twitter at the Thin Blue Line Pod and our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are set up just for our fans. Also, please join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content where you will find more detailed experience concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Conley. Now all that bullshit's out the way, it's time to get back to work and probe deep into chapters 46 through 51 of The Last Coyote. Last time on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we explore how revenge is a confession of pain, shaped chapters 42 through 45 of The Last Coyote. And today, we will continue our deep dive into chapters 46 through 51. As always, there's the prerequisite spoiler alert. It's my intentions to stay away from spoilers, but sometimes shit happens. So please proceed with caution. And now, the Thin Blue Line podcast. Harry Bosch.
time to open up the murder book and turn the page to the chronological record so we can do an investigative summary on the information gathered thus far in these chapters. While at residence at the Mark Twain, Bosch realized that he can prove Mattel killed his mother by checking his fingerprints against the fingerprints found on the belt. Bosch rushes to County USC Medical Center and encounters Larry Sakai. Reluctantly, Bosch asks Sakai to lift the prints off Mattel's body. Bosch takes the prints to Brad Hirsch for examination, but they don't match. Bosch returns to talk to Dr. Noho, and during their therapy session, Bosch expressed his bitterness that all he had accomplished in the last couple of days was to get people killed and not solve the murder of his mother. Dr. Noho gives Bosch her opinion of the photos from his mother's crime scene. She noticed that Bosch's mother was wearing all gold jewelry, and the belt that was used to kill her was silver, which she notes is a combination that most women would normally not wear. Dr. Noho also advises that Bosch's mother might not have been wearing the belt, that the killer might have been wearing the belt and used it to kill Marjorie Lowe. Believing he finally knows who killed his mother, Bosch returns to Meredith Roman's home, only to find several days prior she had committed suicide. Meredith left Bosch a note trying to explain her actions, stating that in a momentary fit of rage and jealousy, she killed Marjorie. Prior to leaving, Bosch burns the note and calls 911, but then is confronted by Jonathan, who has a gun. He had been waiting for Bosch, letting him find Meredith in the letter. Jonathan also tells Bosch that he actually is Johnny Fox. Fox advises Bosch that he faked his own death and remained with Patel as his bodyguard. Fox then orders Bosch to his car, but simultaneously the police arrive and Fox get into a shootout while trying to escape. Following these events, Bosch returns to Dr. Noho, where he starts to process the consequences of his actions. Dr. Noho advises Bosch that the past is like a club and you can only hit yourself in the head with it so many times before there's serious and permanent damage. Dr. Noho also advised Bosch that she was called by Chief Irving, who requested that Bosch return to duty. Bosch asked Dr. Noho if she thought he was ready to return to duty, for which she stated that he was close, but not yet. Taking Dr. Noho's advice, Bosch travels back to Florida and is greeted by a cheerful Jasmine. And that brings us to this episode's big idea. So let's lift up the yellow tape and examine the clues. For the defining theme for chapters 46 to 51 of The Last Coyote is, there are two kinds of guilt. The kind that drowns you into your useless and the kind that fires your soul to purpose. Hello. And welcome back to the Thin Blue Line Podcast, Harry Bosch. 
And today we start this episode off with, well, this is the last episode for the uh, last coyote. And like I've always, always been saying so far in this book, to me, this is the foundational book for Harry Bosch. So as we accustomed to, Harry is back at the Mark Twain. And he, one of the things, again, Michael Connolly gets right, is most officers can distinguish between knowing a police siren and a fire slash EMS siren. And so we see Bosch at the Mark Twain, and he is hearing the different sirens going back and forth. And I, it's something small, but I want to, again, point that out to you. Again, how Michael Connolly gets it right and immerses you into, you as the listener or reader, into um, the world of Harry Bosch. And we see Bosch doing something that I know I did all the time is he rereads Keisha Russell's article and he feels like something is missing. Now he told her the story. He's told um, Irving's story about what happened and what transpired at Mattel's place. But when you see it in writing, then there's something that just was missing. And I did that all the time. When I wrote something up, I would sit back, walk away, come back and reread it and see if it makes sense. And again, you see Michael Conley immersing us into the world of a criminal investigator by doing the exact same thing. And this is something that Bosch has tried and true. He's been doing for the last four books now. And so hopefully you guys get that's what we as investigators do. A good investigator, not only do you write the report, you sit back and you reread it. Hell, sometimes I even let some other people read it to see if it makes sense. And we also continue to see that um, Bosch takes new information and starts all, all over again from the beginning. And again, that's what you have to do as a criminal investigator. As new information comes up, you don't plug it in right then and there. You take it and, you, you, you know, we get fresh eyes on it. But you take that information and you start at the beginning of the investigation. And you see now Bosch is reflecting on information that Mattel didn't take responsibility for killing his mother. But instead, he said, oh, I use that as an opportunity. Um, uh, uh, I use her death as an opportunity. And that would, that's kind of weird to say. You know, wait a minute. He used my mother's death as an opportunity. He didn't brag because as Bosch was saying right here in this portion of the book, Bosch was about to be killed. And he rightfully, rightfully took responsibility for having Conklin killed. And pounds. So why wouldn't he take responsibility for killing Marjorie Lowe? And I'm pretty sure everyone has experienced what happens next. Bosch was racking his brains on what happened and the information he just got. And as he was about to go to sleep, he had this epiphany. Ah, the prince. The prince. And I can compare Patel's prince to the prince that was left on Marjorie Lowe's belt. Now, that has happened to me so many times, and I'm pretty sure I'm not unique with that. I'm pretty sure, listeners, you probably happen that happened to you. And it's been a common theme since Michael Connolly put it out there in this book about the things that make a good criminal investigator. And I expound upon it greatly the last couple of episodes. So Bosch, to get Mattel's fingerprints, has to actually go to the medical examiner's office, and we see him being using a little bit of gal and sneakiness. And again, he doesn't have an ID. 
So he's like, I'm just going to walk in like I belong there. You know, fake it till you make it. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it, and I talked about that, how I did that and how a lot of criminal investigators, if you act like you belong there, most people, and again, Michael Conley said it in this passage, passage here that the guard is so used to seeing Harry that Harry just walks in and he gets up the stairs to the uh, medical examiner. And while he gets up there, he encounters uh, Larry Sakai. And, you know, he has said here that, you know, well, uh, from the book, he went up to the investigator's lounge on the second floor, hoping not only that there would be someone that he knew, but more importantly, someone Bosch had alienated over the years. <laughs> you know, hey, being Harry Bosch comes at a cost. And this is, again, one of the traits that I think at a heart we love Harry, but at the same token, you can't be a good and effective criminal investigator by pissing everybody off. Because you can't do the job alone. You know, you're going to need a lot of insulary people to help you do your job. And for me, I became successful because I developed and had those people part of my investigative team. I looked down on them, but I showed them how important their work was towards my investigation. But we see here, Harry's paying a price for over the years, as Michael Conley said, hopefully not that he can find someone to help him, but someone who he, someone he hasn't alienated over the years. Now, I'm not saying that Harry's looking down on anybody, but at times, I mean, it's a call, but you can't fight everybody. And so that comes at a price because only person there in the um, investigator's lounge is Larry Sakai. Now, we know Larry Sakai from the Black Echo, and we know Bosch hates Larry Sakai. And even more so, we find out since then Delarius Sakai is still the snake that he has been by taking pictures of dead people uh, after the earthquake and then selling it to the tabloid. So, but that's all Harry has, and he has to pay a price for getting Larry Sakai to pull the prints for him. And you know, one of the brilliant things I love about Michael Colley is that he makes you laugh at the most unexpected times from the book. Look, Sakai, I need a favor. You want to help me out? I owe you one. Sakai leaned forward in his chair. Bosch could see the point of the toothpick poking from between his lips. I don't know, Bosch. Having you owe me one is like having an old whore of age saying she'll give me a free one if I pay for the first. <laughs> I'm like, what? Michael Colley, where the fuck did you come up with this stuff? But I mean, I, I, I heard that portion of the, uh, that, that passage right there. And every time I read it, I don't care how many times I've read it, it makes me laugh because I'm thinking, okay, Michael, where did you come up with that one? Because that one is a classic Harry Bosch uh, quote. And throughout this book, again, I've been saying it, uh, we see after uh, Harry gets the fingerprints from Mattel, he then takes them up to Hirsch for comparison. But again, he can't get into Parker Center because Chief Irving didn't give him back his ID. He's on um, leave. So, again, he used the same thing, fake it till you make it. He waits outside. He loiters a little bit for some other criminal investigators to come into the building and walks in with them. Again, just taking, uh, is that gal or sneaky? Probably a little bit of both, but it, it's effective. And so what happens is Harry then goes upstairs and meets up with Hirsch. 
Now, at this point, I think Hirsch believes, and rightfully so, that he's part of Bosch's investigative team. And so he asks Hirsch, hey, look, could you do a fingerprint comparison for me? And even Michael Connolly points out this portion of the book that Hirsch was starting to regret helping Harry. Now, I really don't think so. I just think that's Hirsch's personality because, again, I've encountered people like that. They're really good at their job, but they're not a people person. And you have to work your way through them not being a people person. And they can be some of the most effective people to help you out doing your investigation. So after Hirsch does the comparison prints for him, we see Bosch then goes back to Dr. Noho's office. And even when she opens the door, she's pleasantly surprised that Bosch is there because she thought that he was, you know, still in the hospital. But I kind of really feel sorry for Bosch here because Bosch doesn't have one, anyone to talk to, no one to vent to. And again, Dr. Noho is a good person to do that. But Bosch is in a very lonely place right now. So Bosch tells Dr. Noho that the prints don't match between Mattel and the prints left on the belt. And we start to see his regret and his depression concerning the lives that was lost are starting to weigh on Bosch. And we see Bosch actually picks a fight with Dr. Noho from the book. Have you been drinking? I had a couple of beers with lunch, but it was a long lunch. And I think a minimum of two beers required considering what I've just told you. But I'm not drunk, if that's what you want to know. And I'm not working, so what's the difference? I thought we agreed to cut. Oh, fuck that. This is the real world. Isn't that what you call it? The real world? Between now and the last time we talked, I killed someone, Doc. And you want to talk about cutting back on booze like it means anything anymore. I mean, that's a really sad and powerful statement right there because he is, you can see the depression is starting to sink in on, on Harry. And even so much where Dr. Nohos actually um, apologizes to him for, you know, infer, inferring is he drunk? Because, you know, it's, it's, to, it's actually is kind of insulting. So the conversation turns back to the prince not matching. And Bosch talks about the pain of Conklin and Pounds and how that's going to be with him for a while. And he understands that he's going to have to pay a price. Now, there's no spoiler here. I'm not giving you a spoiler. This is just who Michael Connelly is. Listeners, if you have not learned by now, we love Harry and we never want anything bad to happen to Harry. But this is not a spoiler. But you know Michael Connelly, just to be true to his writing, Harry's going to have to pay a price for what happened between, I wouldn't even say Conklin, but definitely Pounds. I mean, <laughs> again, he couldn't foresee what was going to happen to Pounds, but Pounds is going to have to answer for all these investigative inquiries done utilizing his identification. At the bare minimum, there was going to have to be some accountability for that. Again, does that, Exolve Harry of some responsibility. Again, who could saw what was going to happen? That damn, the guy was going to be killed. But Harry knows, and he's been saying this enough. So Michael Connolly is setting us up that there's going to have to be some type of price to be paid for what happened with Pounds. And so far, 
We know how Michael Conley is. It's going to come at the most unexpected time. And again, not a spoiler. You guys have been listening to me long enough. You know, and you know what's so great about it? You know, this what's so great about Michael Conley is I said it the last podcast. I've been saying it throughout this whole journey we've been taking. I know it's coming. But, you know, he still gets me because he sneaks it in at the craziest and the most unexpected times that this is why I love his books. And this is why, again, I'm doing this podcast. And then Dr. Nohos says something that I think just encapsulates Harry Bosch from the book. Isn't there an alternative scenario? Isn't it possible that maybe the original detectives were correcting their assumptions back when they said there was a sex killer out there and tracking him down was hopeless? There's always alternative scenarios. But you always seem to be drawn towards finding someone of power, a person of establishment to blame. Maybe that's not the case here. Maybe it's a symptom of your larger desire to blame society for what happened to you and your mother. I mean, that right there, think about, okay, from now on, that's always going to be in the back of my head. Now, that seems to be another fuel for Harry. One of the things I like about Harry Bosch is he fights the power. He fights the establishment. And again, from my I'm understanding, what Michael Conley is saying here is that where does that fuel, that fire comes from? Where does it come from? And Dr. Doho is identifying Harry always seems to want to be drawn to as someone of power, someone influential, establishment person that has wronged and then you can fill in the blank. And then he's always trying to take down this construct. Now, again, I'm not trying to get too deep into the psychology and all that kind of stuff. But at least for me, I like backstories. And I, like, I like to know people's motives. And she's giving us, well, she, Dr. Uh, Michael, Michael Conley's giving us a way to start looking at Harry's motives in a different light. And I like that. I like that a lot. Now, I have to admit, it's so easy for us to miss clues. And I have to admit my own biases to fight the power structure, blinding me also to other possible suspects. And, you know, so here we go. Um, here is what happens with our boy Michael Conley. And I keep saying the snake that he is, how the brilliance that he is, because Dr. Noho starts to give Harry. Well, let me back up. I'm, I'm so excited. So Harry is, is about to leave because he doesn't want to really talk about his feelings because he's right now overwhelmed. And she said, well, you know, I'm going to give you back these photos, but I had, I wanted to talk about the photo scene, um, the crime scene, if you want to. And then Harry's like, yeah, let's talk about anything else. And Dr. Noho starts breaking down the, her impression of the crime scene. And one of the things that's so clear and so just was in our face all this time was what she broke down when it comes to, well, you know, it, it could be just me, but your mother seemed like she was a stylish person and she had on all gold that day. And you know, then the belt she had was silver. And again, something small and minute, but it doesn't seem like she would wear a silver belt with all this other gold accessories. And then let's talk about the skirt she had. The skirt she had, really, you don't need a belt. Why would you wear a belt with that type of skirt? Because you don't need it. Um, 
is meant to be worn without a belt. And then also the fact where she was dumped and the statement, it was a statement type of her social status. And because the, the dumpster right there was open, why did you just throw the person inside the dumpster? Why did you leave it out in public like that? Why leave the belt around her neck? And then Harry starts putting the pieces together. And then while Harry's putting the pieces together, again, I know I'm not the only person. Like, again, I told you last podcast, what I did was I knew something was going to happen because when we thought Mattel had killed um, Meredith, I looked back and it was like, this is chapter 40, I would say maybe 44, something like that, 45. And then we look at it, then we, I got a, another nine chapters to go. I'm like, okay, how is Michael Conley going to get us? So again, I, I admitted to you last time, I flipped to the back to see what was going on. So this is what was going on. Michael Conley just kills us, what killed me. He gave us a clue about the true killer back in fucking chapter five from the book, chapter five. Next to the file was a group of summary reports of interviews conducted on the first day of investigations. Most of these were people who had peripheral knowledge of the victim of the, or the crime. People like other residents in the uh, Rio apartments. Other women of the same profession as the victim. There was one short summary that caught Bosch's eye. It was from an interview conducted three days after the murder of a woman named Meredith Roman. <laughs> okay, okay, that's one. You know, goddamn Michael Golly. Okay, second, from the same fucking chapter. Miss Roman acknowledged that she had engaged in prostitutional acts while in the company of the victim on numerous occasions in the, in the previous eight years, but she had no booking for that date, later confirmed. Why is this important? Because Bosch ran the fingerprints through the computer. And that's why Meredith's fingerprints didn't show up as a hit on the, on the belt because she never was arrested. So her fingerprints weren't in the system. And again, that's something small, but that fucking, <laughs> the Michael Conley got me. He got me. Okay, three from the book. Ms. Roman stated that the last time she saw the victim was at a party on the second floor at the Roosevelt on 1021. Ms. Roman didn't attend the party with the victim, but saw her there momentarily for a short conversation. Okay, wait, did you attend the party by yourself and had a quick conversation with her? And if you did, what was the conversation about? Because right now, that doesn't make sense. And again, inconsistencies. One of the things that we like as criminal investigators are inconsistencies. And right now, that statement right there that I got from her, they as in the two, Eno and McKittrick, got from um, Roman back then shows inconsistency. And Michael Conley put that in our face in fucking chapter five. Okay, four from the book. Witness Meredith Roman was re-interviewed on this date and asked to amend her earlier statement. Why? Why was she asked to amend her earlier statement? I mean, she did, did she come forward for, to them and ask, Hey, I don't want to amend my statement. I got more information. Why did they ask her to amend her previous statement? Again, that's again all from chapter five. I mean, okay, okay. We move into chapter six. Chapter six from the book. I've always had it there, Harry. Even when my husband was alive, he knew my past. I told him it didn't matter. 
We had 23 great years together. You see, the past is what you make of it. You can use it to hurt yourself or others, or you can use it to make yourself strong. I'm strong, Harry. Now tell me, why you came to visit me today? Bosch reached for the framed photo and picked it up. I want... He looked up from the photo to her. I'm going to find out who killed her. An undecipherable look froze on her face for a moment, and then she wordlessly took the frame out of his hand and put it back on the bureau. She then pulled him into a deep embrace, her head against his chest. He could see himself holding her in the mirror over the bureau. When she pulled back and looked up at him, he saw the tears were already down her cheeks. There was a slight tremor in her lower lip. I mean, back then in chapter six, the look, you know, the quote unquote, the undecipherable look froze on her face for a moment. Again, again, chapter six, Michael Conley. Now, this is six different things that point to Meredith that we, or at least I, totally fucking overlooked. Okay, seventh, seventh clue from the book. What about this guy, Johnny Fox? Yes, I told the detectives about him. They got all excited, but nothing ever happened. He was never arrested. I think he was, but he was let go. His fingerprints didn't match the killer's. She raised her eyebrows. Well, that's news to me. They never told me anything about any fingerprints. <laughs> I mean, okay, right now, right now, I'm feeling, I use always the metaphor of being a snake. I feel like a boxer. And I'm, I'm, I'm in the corner. And Michael Conley right now is uh, George Foreman just wailing on my body. <laughs> I mean, in our fucking faces. She raised her eyebrows. Well, that's news to me. They never said anything to me about any fingerprints. <laughs> oh, Michael Conley, goodness gracious. Okay, now we're up on the, uh, I'm losing count, the eighth clue that he put in our face um, from the book. Who was having the party? I don't remember. I don't even know who party it was. Something about the way she answered Father Bosch. Her tone had changed, and it came across almost as being a rehearsed answer. <laughs> Again, in your face or in our face, right? Okay, now lastly, I think we're to number nine from the book. Bosch realized that his familiarity with the woman, his emotions of seeing her again after so long, had blocked most of his investigative instincts. He had no feel for the truth. He couldn't tell whether there was more to what she was telling him or not. <laughs> Nine clues between two chapters early on that Michael Conley got us. Well, again, got me. He's brilliant. He's, he's great. So then we see Bosch responding back to Parker Center and jumping Hirsch. And it's not like he really needed it. But again, all these other things were just speculations and all the pieces start falling into place. But now he needs some empirical evidence. So he goes to Hearst and says, hey, look, could you compare the fingerprints from the belt to the fingerprints that's possibly left on this Christmas card I received five years ago? And Hearst does it, you know, reluctantly. But he comes back and says, bingo, a match. And I honestly think even before this match, but definitely since this match, we can consider 
Brad Hirsch as being on Harry Bosch's um, investigative team. From the book, Detective, Bosch looked away from his thoughts to Hirsch, who was sitting at his desk, nodding his head. You got something? Bingo. Bosch just nodded. It was a confirmation of more than just a match of the fingerprints. He knew it was a confirmation that all the things that he had accepted as truth in his life could be as false as Meredith Roman. Wow. I mean, this right here, this line in the book, is to me, Harry starting the healing process because it's kind of hard to go against this mythological reality that he had built for, from his, for his mother. And, but for this, but for that, I would have this utopia relationship. And now he has to do what we call look at hard truths. And when you take hard truths and look at yourself, that's a form of courage. I mean, I said it before in earlier podcasts, and my kids, one of the mantras I live by is to thyself be true. And I honestly feel that way is to thyself be true. And that brings us to this episode's question of the day. And the question of the day comes from the last coyote chapters 46 through 51. After his revelation inspired by Dr. Noho, Harry mused how early investigators overlooked a female suspect concerning the death of his mother. From the book, but Bosch knew why they hadn't seen it. He knew the investigators dismissed any thought in that direction, if they even had any, because she was a woman. Question. How likely will law enforcement overlook females as a suspect in a brutal crime? Very likely, over 50%, or not likely, less than 50%. And first, again, I want to say thank you for everyone who participated in this poll. And again, I know we're all going through this crazy Corona-19, this COVID-19 thing, and for you guys to take the time to participate in the poll, I really do appreciate it. And as of the recording of this podcast, 79% of you say that law enforcement will overlook a female in a brutal crime, while 21% of you say not likely less than 50% of the time. And, you know, based on uh, empirical evidence, most brutal crimes are committed by men, but you should not overlook females. Now, I can tell you right now, I did it when I early on. And again, this is one of those things that you just have to learn the hard way um, in criminal investigations. Um, I had an investigation where it was investigating this one particular narcotic dealer. And she was, she, on the face of it, looked like it was a boyfriend. But when we dug deeper and talked to different people, she was a figurehead behind this guy. But she kept being overlooked because she was a female, at least on my part. And it was shocking that she was so brutal, so efficient. And my biases early on taught me a valuable lesson that don't overlook anyone based on your own biases. Now, again, I'm human and most cops, well, we're all human. And we have to recognize our biases and fight through them. And don't get blinded by them. So, as I always say, I feel like I'm rambling. So let's get back to uh, hitting the streets. 
And as we come out of the break, we see Bosch responding to Meredith Roman's home. And Bosch goes inside and notices she's dead from apparent suicide. And she, uh, well, Bosch notices that a, uh, that, that she left a note for him. And, you know, this note from the book, what is jealousy but a reflecting of one's failures? Wow. I mean, I mean again, Michael Connolly just has a way of looking at the phrasing things that is so visual and so profound. And I, again, I love that line. I love that line. You know, but I started picking up some of Michael Connolly's traits and he is very good at hitting us with one thing by sliding in something else. And what I mean by that is uh, continuing as Bosch is reading the note that, or the letter that Meredith Roman left from him, from the book. I should have paid for my sins a long time ago, but someone convinced me otherwise and helped me get away with it. You know, when, when she said that, I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Again, no, no spoilers. But, you know, I was just, as you're reading it, I'm trying to, you know, um, process some of the stuff that she said before. And so I started to get on full alert. And again, I'm trying not to do any spoilers, but, you know, it, you know, we, we're coming. This is the last chapters of the book, so there's not too much I can hold back on. As I was just saying again, you know, Michael Conley is so descriptive. And you started, again, picking up on so many themes that he always writes about, or metaphorically he writes about. And I love this other passage in that particular instant while Harriet was reading the letter from the book. Bosch reread the note, and then he stood there thinking about it for a long time. Finally, he folded it and put it back in the envelope. He walked over to the fireplace, lit the envelope on fire with his bick and tossed it into the grate. He watched the paper bend and burn into a burn like a black rose and went out. I mean, again, you know, it's just, he has a way of just giving me these visual cues of, to help enhance the story. And it's very tantalizing. And, you know, again, it's just why I'm doing this podcast and why I'm such a Harry Bosch or Michael Conley fan. Now, later on in the book, Dr. Nohos, you know, admonishes Bosch for taking too much responsibility. And I'm going to get, I'm going to talk about that later on. But one of the things we see that Bosch did is that after he burns the uh, envelope with the, with the note in it, he picks up the phone and dials 911. And that just gets to the heart of who he is. Again, I don't know if I could be that magnanimous. I mean, as Michael Conley um, described to us, only thing that we saw with Meredith was her face was starting to, to deteriorate while she was in the bed. And for one who just admitted to Bosch, you know, via letter, that she, he killed, that she killed his mother, I don't know if I could be that magnanimous and call the police and say, hey, come get her. I mean, to me, after all the pain that we know that Bosch has been through so far that Michael Conley has given us, Again, but to begin, that's again always is the yin and yang with, with of Harry. Yes, he's an asshole, but he's a good guy. 
He can be a tough guy, but he's also a, a good guy at heart. And we have to take the good with the bad. And here, a, an example is an example of Harry being a good guy because he's going to pick up the phone and have 911 call and get this lady. And as Michael Conley has demonstrated the ability to shock and or surprise me, and I think you guys also. And again, this is why this book to me is so underrated. This book right here is so underrated because as, as Bosch is leaving, he hears a voice says, she writes a good note, doesn't she? <laughs> and then we turn around and we see Vaughn is sitting there holding a gun. And Vaughn tells Bosch that, you know, one, that yeah, he knew um, Meredith back in the day and he went to Meredith's home to, um, to hide out. And then Vaughn has another surprise. You know, he confirms that he is Johnny Fox. And you're like, oh, shit. Again, in our fucking face. From, it was so slight a hand. This dude name is Jonathan. And, you know, J Johnny Fox. But Jonathan, it was right there all the time. And Michael Connolly, just like, wow. I mean, and you're talking about holding on to the last chapter or next to the last chapter of the book, another big reveal. You're like, OMG. I mean, it just, just took me by surprise because first he hit us with, okay, Meredith is the one who uh, killed his mother. And then just when you start to relax a little bit and, you know, you, you kind of, you know, fade to black as they say in the movies, you know, uh, fade to black and Harry's going to go off somewhere. Yeah. He gets into it with uh, Johnny Fox. And, and, you know, it's just, I just can't say it enough. This is just seal why I loved Michael Connell. Like, yeah, I, I, I fell in love with his writing with the Black Echo. I was hooked then. But then you start seeing him really start to hone in on the, the surprises and the big reveals and the masterpiece and the strokes and the twists and turns that Harry Bosch goes through. Um, it was just phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. And we see Harry once again, fight or flight out thinking, outsmarting his opponent because now remember his good guidance is now going to pay off that he didn't know. Of course not. You know that Vaughn was outside waiting for him. But him being a good guy, calling 911 and hanging a receiver up, he now starts to have Johnny Fox to talk about what happened and keep him talking because in the back of Harry's head, I got to keep this guy talking because hopefully the police will come to save his ass. And did you guys pick up on something that Johnny Fox said concerning the letter? And it goes back to hard truths to thyself be true because pretty much Vaughn told again I say Vaughn Johnny Fox told Harry that yeah he is in Fox sent Meredith at um, Conklin first but it didn't take so then Harry's pretty much said that's what it came down to a cat fight between whores like god damn hard truths to thyself be true Again, that doesn't take away for his love for his mother, but whew. Again, Michael Collins, again, this is next to the last chapter 
And again, he is just, he is in Michael Conley is just throwing body blows to me right now. And it was so masterful and so much twist because again, you start thinking, okay, maybe, or, or it could have been a little bit of both. But then for Meredith Roman not to put that in the letter, she was lying to herself. She's still lying to herself because she called Johnny Fox and Fox knew, you know, it could have been a little bit because she was jealous or was it more so she was mad or that, that was that jealousy not steeped in that she was leaving and she wished it was her, but also that Conklin chose Marjorie over Meredith. Again, those hard facts and those hard truths that um, Harry is uh, faced with right now. I mean, Michael Conley is not letting up on Harry Bosch at all. And I think that's so great to hold his hero, to make his hero to be as fallible as all of us, not some saint, but still make him likable and lovable and for us to care about him. Again, I just think it's just Michael Conley at his best. So we also see then Harry's ability to get Fox to keep talking pays off, pays off huge. Well, uh, Fox had a, a gunpoint at Harry, and be, you know he said, "We're going to go to your house." And Harry's like, "For what?" But then the police pulls up, and as they pull up, Harry does a really smart thing. You know, he yells, "He got a gun! He's got a gun!" and makes a dive. And you know, one of the things that I love again, because Michael Conley has it right, he talks about after it was over, it lasted under eight seconds. Again, again, I've never been in a shootout, but I have been in in 30 years. How much, I mean, how many doggone training at the range that I had to go through? I mean, and how many rounds? I can't even count how many rounds I've shot. But all my instructors, one of the big portions of our instructional phase when it comes to the practical shooting was how fast a shooting is over with. And so what happens is when you go to a shooting range, usually there's a, a, a book portion and the range portion and in both of them they talk about how fast and how quick and how you have to be on target with your shooting um because it happens so fast you know it's bam 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 and it's over with again michael Conley lets you guys know how it is to be a police officer because he said again under eight seconds the police shot vaughn well it was a shootout between uh, johnny fox and the police and also to bring home what I was saying about Michael Conley having the ability to add levity to a situation. Now, it was a shootout between Fox and uh, the police from the book. I'm unarmed. I'm a police officer. I am no threat to you. I am an unarmed police officer. He felt the end of a hot barrel press against his neck. <laughs> I mean... I don't know. I just, that made me crack up when I heard that. Okay, for a couple of reasons. But one, you know, it's true. Because I can, I can see it happening back in the day. Now, today in 2020, that would be considered a, a cruel and unusual punishment. But back in the 90s, yeah. If I just got out, got in a shootout with somebody, and then there's a guy on the ground who I don't know who it is. Yeah, my barrel of my gun is going to go right against his head. <laughs> and then I'm going to say, if you move, motherfucker, 
you're going to be next. Again, I don't know why that line cracked me up so much, but it really did. So after the police cuffed Harry and he was taking him down the, uh, they were taking him down the porch. One of the things, again, I told you guys from the very first podcast almost a year and a half ago, or I guess 18 months ago, was Michael Conley's ability and his focusing on people's eyes. I love that. I love his way of telling his story through people's eyes. From the book, Bosch was laid down the steps of the porch. He could see Fox was still alive. His chest was heaving. He had wounds in both legs and stomach and looked like one of the slugs had gone through both cheeks. His jaw was hung open. But both his eyes seemed to wander as he stared at death coming for him like, God damn! <laughs> I mean, is there more, any more to be said? I, I can't add any more uh, adjectives to that. But it was very fitting to me how Michael Connolly ended Johnny Fox's life. And also, I didn't mention it last podcast, but did also, too, how Michael Connolly ended Mattel's life by falling off the cliff, like falling from grace. I mean, I just, I just love that. I mean, this, this, that's what I read into it. And again, you know, we shouldn't assume, but I, at least I read that into it. And again, I love how descriptive these particular bad guys downfall took place. So after everything is over with, we see Harry Bosch back at Dr. Nohos. And Dr. Nohos asks Harry, why didn't he tell the police how he knew Roman? And the fact that Bosch said, I just wanted it to be over. And you can see that. I mean, goodness gracious, he has had a hellacious time right now. And that also to me, answer a question I had in, last, in the last podcast. If you remember, Harry, um, after Mattel went over the cliff and the owners of that particular house um, saw Mattel's body in a swimming pool, he looked up and Bosch kind of backed away from the cliff. And to me, it's the same thing. He just wanted it to be over because if they had saw him up there, it would be more questions to ask. And I think that hopefully, but to me, he answered both questions. He and Michael Conley answered both questions, why he had Harry back away from the cliff and why Harry did not tell the police his connection with Meredith Roman. And we also see Dr. Noho's passion concerning Harry and blaming himself. And this is where we get another great line from Michael Connolly from the book. The past is like a club and you can only hit yourself in the head with it so many times before this serious and permanent damage. That's true. I mean, sooner or later, are you going to be governed by the past and or be beholding to the past? Or are you going to learn from it and be able to move on? And I love Dr. Noho's passion here. And then we see Dr. Noho's commitment to Harry. Again, because she tells Harry that she got a call from Irving and wanted Harry to be put back to duty. Well, one, Harry says, well, has he ever done that before? And she says, no, I'm going to have a conversation with him with that. And number two, she says, well, then Harry comes back and says, well, do you think I'm ready? And she says, you're, all, you're close, but you're not there. You're close, but you're not there. But again, what was Irving's motives for having Harry to come back to work? 
And to me, it's pure and simple. Irving lost me last podcast when he again was going to shelve the Marjorie Lowe investigation for the political leverage over Mattel's associates. So I, he lost me there. And so then we see, it's my speculation that only reason he wants Harry back to work. Well, he knows Harry's pretty good, but then he wants Harry back to work because he can hold over Harry's head, the whole pounds thing. So again, Michael Connor doesn't put anything in there for a reason. Again, this is not spoiler. I'm not, you know, but I'm just letting you guys know, let's be on the lookout <laughs> because we know Michael Conley is not above setting us up. And then Michael Conley sets us up a little bit, but not a little bit, a lot, because right now, Harry is about to, was thinking about pulling a pin and retiring from the police department because he feels as though someone has to pay for what happened to Pounds and Conklin. And Dr. Noho gets Harry to hold off, take leave, and reflect a little bit before you make such a big decision. Because as he said numerous times throughout this book, being a cop is who he is. And one of the things that Dr. Noho says to Harry from the book, remember what you said about seeing the coyote on the street last week? She asked quietly. About being the last coyote? I remember. I think I know how you felt. I would hate to think that I was seeing the last coyote for the last time, too. That was extremely touching because now she understood what Harry was talking about being the last coyote, the last guy of his breed in the police department. And for her to be able to get Harry to hold off before he um, pulled the pin was phenomenal. Now, also, why I said Michael Connolly makes us pay a little bit because in between this book and the next Harry Bosch book is The Poet, which I've read. But I had to read it because the next book after The Poet was Trump music. And Trump music didn't come out for two fucking years. So there was, there was a, almost a two-year gap between The Last Coyote and Trump music. And we didn't know, was Harry Bosch going to come back? Because the way that Michael Connolly left it here in the therapy session with Dr. Noho, he's thinking about pulling the pin because he feels as though he has to pay some type of penance for Pounds and Conklin. So Dr. Noho says, now I hate to see, again, because we don't trust Michael Conley. I hate to think that I, that I saw the last coyote too. And it, it was really touch and go there for a second. Cause we were like, okay, is he going to come out with another book? on the Harry Bosch series because the poll was such a great book. I mean, it was a phenomenal book and I've, it's been some debate. Should I do a podcast on that? And I digress, but Michael Conley makes us wait for two years before trunk music came out. And then we see Harry flying down to Florida to meet Jasmine. Again, I totally forgot about Jasmine. <laughs> you know, there was so much going on in the last couple of chapters. I had totally forgot about Jasmine. But Michael Connolly closes that loop. And again, Michael Connolly is a fi has fixation on the eyes. And again, I picked that up because I have the same thing. I know I'm repeating myself from the book. He moved closer into her and stepped aside the easel. The portrait had only been started. The same eyes in the portrait that hung on the wall in the other room. The same eyes he saw in the mirror. A kid, I mean... 
it's such a story told by describing and capturing the eyes of a person. Well, they say eyes are the window of an individual soul or something to that effect. And as we end this podcast today, it's something, again, Michael Connolly just left us with this cliffhanger was we're going to get, where we're going to get back uh, Harry Bosch from the book. He traced a slash on her face. They embraced again. Bosch knew they could talk later, but now he just wanted to hold her and smell her and look over her shoulder to the brilliant blue bay. He thought of something the old man in the bed had told him. When you find the one that fit, then you grab one for dear life. Bosch didn't know if she was the one, but for the moment, he held on with everything he had left. And it gets us to this episode's Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person. And my Everyone Counts or No One Counts Person for the last Coyote chapters 46 through 51 is Dr. Carmen Anoho. Now, I picked uh, Dr. Anoho for of various reasons, but let's just start from the very beginning. She was so vital to Harry in this book from getting him to start breaking down his walls for him to start introspection into himself. What gets at his anger? What is he angry for? For being there for him. I mean, I said it just a little while ago. He doesn't have any friends right now. No one he can trust. And he's able to go in there and to let go without being judged. And also her fervent defense of him against the department and more specifically Irving, for her to be able to push back and to reveal certain aspects of what was going on. Remember, when he got back from Florida, he was looked at as a suspect, and she defended him, him as in Harry, to Irving. And the fact, I mean, she gave him the clue at the very end to solve the whole case. I mean, that was, I mean, that's just the, the cherry on top. But all those other things that I just mentioned I'm going to have to say that Dr. Carmen Nohos is my everyone counts or no one counts person for The Last Coyote, chapters 46 through 51. This concludes the last chapters, 46 through 51, of The Last Coyote. Boy, 
folks, this was a big book and it was kind of long and I didn't want to race through it because again, I wanted you guys to understand how important The Last Coyote was or is to the whole Harry Bosch ecosystem. And I hope I did it justice. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. And I think going forward, we could then have fresh eyes on who Michael Conley has developed this Harry Bosch persona. I say it again. Thanks a lot for hanging in there with me. Um, I do this and I hope that you guys are enjoying it. Well, I know you guys are because people react to it and I get this nice feedback from people and I really do appreciate it. And again, especially during this crazy, unprecedented time concerning COVID-19. I said it before and I said it again, if this podcast provides any relief from anybody just for an hour or two, then I think it's well worth it. And I want to say thank you. And I keep going to Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast and continue to give us five stars or more. And I know, again, I said over and over again, comments, 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 comments. Please keep those comments coming because your comments are valuable and I try to incorporate them in the podcast. And also, please continue to tell your friends and family about this podcast because we're growing and it's because of you guys sharing your thoughts and feelings of this podcast with your friends and family. So please, please, please continue to do that. Lastly, don't forget to join us at www.thethinbluelinepod.com for more investigative content. As I always say, there you will find a more detailed experience concerning Harry Bosch and Michael Conley. So next up on the Thin Blue Line podcast, we will start our deep dive into the fifth book of the Harry Bosch series, Trunk Music. This is a good book. It is a very good book. Michael Conley made us wait for two years, but he didn't pull any punches. It's a very good book. So please join me when I start that. I'm Philip Parker. Please stay healthy and safe. I'm 10-7 for the remainder. Bye.